Morning, everybody. Morning. How are you? <laughs> Good. Um, just to tell you a little bit about me uh, before we, we look at the Bible together. Um, as Dan said, I, I'm uh, from Newcastle. I'm one of the leaders in the church in Newcastle. I'm originally from Merseyside, and I, I went up to Newcastle when I was 18 to do a history and politics degree, and then had a couple of years in Eastern Europe doing some voluntary work for a, a, a Christian charity out there. And then went back to Newcastle and trained to be an RE teacher. I taught RE in a high school for 10 years. Man, I absolutely loved that job. That was an amazing job and an amazing time in my life. I met my wife, we got married. And then after 10 years of teaching RE, I felt like uh, God was, was calling me to do something a little bit different. And I actually just quit that job in a, in a wanton act of recklessness and started working for our church, uh, City Church, which is... a uh, in Newcastle City Centre, and I worked for the church for about three years voluntarily. And I'll give you a tip, right? If you want a a tip on finding a job, if you work for churches for nothing for long enough, man, in the end they start paying you, because like all that Christian guilt starts kicking in, and uh, (laughs) that's what happened for me. So uh, after about three years, I went on the staff and started to help to lead the church, and uh, I've I've been doing that ever since. That was about 10, 10 or 12 years ago. And I'm married to Roz. Uh, Roz works as a GP in Newcastle. And uh, we've got three, three amazing kids. I think you might see a picture of our kids. This is Josie, Jess, and Zach uh, a little while ago. Uh, Josie's 10, Jess on the left. Uh, sorry, Josie's 12, Jess is 10, and Zach is, is 7, going on 8. And we have loads of fun in our family. Gosh, so there's a little bit about me. Um, so you're in the middle of this series on how culture disciples us. Is that right? And Matt, Matt sent me the email saying, you're looking at how the gospel can help us overcome things like fear and drivenness and laziness and hypocrisy. Man, that is some hard-hitting stuff you guys are looking at. I was feeling for you reading Matt's email. Uh, this is big stuff. And last week, Matt was talking about how the way we really start to see change with all that stuff is by tackling it at the root rather than just trying to tweak our behavior. Is that right? Were you here for that? Wave at me if you were here for that with Matt last week. Great stuff. Gosh, do you know, the goal of the Christian life isn't that we just start to do a few more of the right kind of things. It's not that we just grit our teeth and try and force ourselves somehow to do a little bit more of the right kind of stuff. The goal of the Christian life is that we become the right kind of person. It's that we become like Jesus The goal of the Christian life is that we become people who are so secure in the love of God that we live our whole life out of the overflow of that, like Jesus did, and that we start to live a whole life of love. Can you see how much bigger that is than just doing a few more of the right kind of things through gritted teeth? And of course, as that starts to happen, all your behaviors do start to line up with that. They do. Because as your heart starts to get changed by the love of God, You won't have to force yourself to live in a way that's pleasing to Jesus. You'll want to. You'll want to live like Jesus. That will become the most important thing to you. Living like that will become the joy of your whole life. And today I was hoping that we could spend some time thinking specifically about how the gospel helps us overcome anxiety. And especially when we're in a time of trial or a time of disappointment. And so we're asking this question. How can we really be happy if we feel as though we're stuck in our life in a time of delay. Delay. What are you like at waiting for something? How do you handle delay? Do you know, it seems like 
One of the core values of our culture now is instant gratification. Like you, you can just see that all around us in a million different ways, can't you? That message is everywhere. It's like waiting is just an unnecessary inconvenience. If I'm going to have it, then why not now? What's the point in waiting? There's a great episode of The Simpsons that starts with the camera inside a microwave oven looking out and Marge telling Homer that his meatloaf is going to be ready in 10 seconds and you can see the clock counting down from 10 down to zero and Homer stands over the microwave going, come on, come on, good grief, can't they think of anything quicker than a microwave? (laughs) Do you know, that's us, isn't it? We're the generation that stands next to the microwave saying, can't they think of something quicker than this? That's our generation. But even though we try and avoid it whenever we can, the reality is waiting's just a part of life. And that came home to me recently. I was chatting to my friend Duncan uh, about parenting. He's got three kids the same age as ours. And we were encouraging each other about the stuff we do well as parents. And he said to me, well, and there's that, that other thing that you say to your kids. I said, what, what, what thing? He said, you know, that thing. You say it all the time. What is it again? You say to your kids, well done for doing good waiting. Joe, I had no idea I said that to the kids. But I guess you do have to teach your kids how to do good waiting. What do you like at doing good waiting? You're a patient person. Patience is love for the long haul. Patience means bearing up under difficult circumstances without giving up or giving in to bitterness. It means keeping on working even when gratification is delayed. It means taking what life offers, even if that's suffering, without lashing out at the people around you. That's patience. And when you're in a situation that you're troubled over, or when there's delay, or pressure on you, or something is not happening that you deeply want to happen, the temptation is strong to give up on patience. Waiting can just be incredibly painful. And... I think there are two things in particular that can turn a delay into a painful trial. Firstly, if you don't know the reason, I was talking to somebody recently about something that I feel as though I need in my own life at the moment, and I heard myself saying exactly that. What's the point of waiting for this? I just don't see any purpose to that. I just don't see any advantage to waiting. I just don't get it. See, if I can know the reason... If I can see the purpose, then immediately, waiting isn't too bad. Yes, it can still be testing, but it's not going to be a trial in the same kind of way because you know why. And the second thing that makes waiting painful is when you don't know how long you're going to have to wait. You don't know when the waiting will be over. You don't know if your hope is going to be fulfilled next week or next year or if it is ever going to be fulfilled at all. You don't know. See, if you know how long you've got to wait, and if you know what the purpose is, then almost always you can handle that well. You can stay positive. You can stay hopeful. And this is how the gospel can help you in a time of delay. Because the gospel says, whether you can see it or not, there is always a point to your waiting. God is working in the waiting. And he's doing a work that cannot happen any other way. And... You can see that really clearly in the Bible in the way that Jesus deals with Jairus. Jairus was a man who'd been waiting a long time for the recovery of his little girl who was sick. Can we have a read of this together? This is Mark chapter 5. This is Mark's story of the life of Jesus. And Mark says this 
at a certain point in the story. He says, When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered round him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please, come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed round him, and a woman was there who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned round in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. How can you ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking round to see who'd done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? But overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid, just believe. He didn't let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha, kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Gosh, what a story. And I think... There are three things here that can feed you and help you to be happy in a time of delay. Firstly, Jesus will not be hurried. Secondly, Jesus gives much more than you expect, but he also requires much more. And thirdly, Jesus will lift you out of the greatest darkness. Let's have a look at these three together. Firstly, Jesus will not be hurried. Jesus comes into, into Mark's story, or rather Jairus comes into Mark's story about Jesus when he appears out of the crowd and falls at Jesus' feet. And we know that Jairus was a synagogue leader, and we also know that men of stature and authority in Jewish society didn't make big, unhinged, emotional gestures. But Jairus does. He comes out and he falls at the feet of a carpenter from Galilee. And so we know straight away that tells us something about how desperate Jairus was. Jairus is someone who's having to wait under extreme duress. Because his little girl is close to death. And so he says, please, Jesus, come to my home and come quickly before it's too late. And when Jesus agrees to go, you can only imagine the hope that must have sprung up in Jairus. And also at the same time, the fear that maybe they were going to arrive too late. But even though he's been waiting for a long time, for Jairus, there's going to be one more delay. Because he's not the only person in the crowd that day who's been waiting for a healing. There's a woman there who's been waiting a whole decade for her healing. 
And as the crowd presses in on Jesus, Mark says, she fights her way to the front and she reaches out and touches him. And immediately, Mark says, Jesus knew something significant had happened. He has a sense of some kind of draining of power going out of him and into her. That's what the story says. He knows there's been a healing. And so he says, who touched me? And he won't be fobbed off by Peter or by anybody else. No, who touched me? Jesus stops. Everybody stops. The whole procession stops. Then the woman emerges from the crowd. And Jesus has her tell him the whole story, Mark says. In other words, he gives himself over fully to her and her needs. And man, when you read that, you start to feel like Jesus just doesn't seem to get the basics of prioritization. (laughs) Like when I was a school teacher, I used to sit on the interview panel for new members of staff. And one of the questions that we would always ask people was, you know, imagine these four tasks are in your inbox. Which order would you tackle them in and why? And that's actually a great interview question because the ability to prioritize is often a clear indicator of competence. But look at this. Jesus can't do it. Jesus can't prioritize. He chooses to treat a woman with a long-term condition rather than go to a child who's about to die. Do you know, that's not just poor prioritization. That is negligence. If Jesus was a doctor... And he did, he did what he does in this situation. Do you know, he wouldn't just be sacked for doing that. He would be prosecuted. He'd be prosecuted. And Jairus and the disciples must have been thinking, Jesus, what are you doing? Don't you get it? Hurry up or it's going to be too late. This little girl needs you now. Hurry, Jesus, hurry. Come on. But Jesus will not be hurried. And as he's standing there with the sick woman, the thing that Jairus has feared all along comes to pass because the news arrives that his little girl is dead. Can you imagine how he felt about Jesus at that moment? Jesus is chatting to this old woman. Jesus says, Jairus, trust me, be patient. Even now, there's no need to hurry. It's almost as though Jesus has an understanding of time that is completely alien to us. Every culture has a different sense of time. I was asked to lead a wedding recently where the bride side of the family were all from Holland and the groom side of the family were all from India. And the bride and her dad said to me many times, we're not going to be late for this wedding. You need to be ready because we are going to be here on time. You need to be ready for us. And I was like, that's great. Like That makes my job easy. And uh, then about 10 minutes before the wedding was due to start, Uh, the the father of the groom announced that he was going to go and get changed. He disappeared into the toilets and he was gone for half an hour. Man. And the bride and her dad were standing outside in the cold for 20 minutes. It was a big wedding with 400 people inside wondering what the heck was going on. And I can tell you, that was a stressful 20 minutes. Do you know... Every culture has a different understanding of time, but it doesn't matter what culture you're from, God's sense of timing is not going to match yours. His grace is not going to operate according to your timetable. Jesus will not be hurried. But Jesus doesn't say, I won't be hurried in spite of my love for you. Jesus says, I won't be hurried because I love you. Because I love you. Because however it might seem at the time, Jesus really does know what he's doing. In a time of delay, 
He is always, always working for your good. And so this is the second thing that can feed you in a time of delay. When you go to Jesus for help, almost almost always you are going to end up both giving much more than you expected to give, but also getting much more than you expected to get. And you're going to need patience. Because very often the whole thing won't work out at all the way you anticipated. How can you see that in the story? Well, look at Jairus. Jairus comes to Jesus looking for a healing for his little girl's sickness. What does he get? He ends up with the most amazing, astonishing resurrection. He gets so much more than he ever expected. Way more. But look what Jesus requires of him. What did Jairus think he was going to have to give? You know, he thought he was going to have to keep his nerve long enough just to walk back to the house with Jesus without somehow collapsing on the way. What does Jesus have have him do instead? He has to trust Jesus enough to walk through a bereavement. A bereavement. And when the news of the death comes, Jesus looks him in the eye and says, Jairus, even now, I want you to trust me. That was a test of faith that went way beyond Anything Jairus expected to give. Is that what Jesus is saying to you at the moment? Even now, trust me. Trust me. But it's not just Jairus, because look at the sick woman. What did she come to Jesus hoping for? She wanted a healing. She wanted to just be able to touch and run. She wanted to just get in there, get the healing and get out again, flying below the radar. And Jesus won't let her do that. What does he require of her? He calls her out of the crowd. She has to identify herself in front of that large group of people. And that was a painful thing to do because her medical condition meant she ran the risk of being seen as unclean by all those people. She's trembling as she comes out of the crowd, the story says. Trembling. So why does Jesus do that? Why does he make her go through that? It's because she needs it. See, her understanding of Jesus' power was superstitious. She thought it was the touch that was healing her. She thought his power was hers to control. But Jesus says, no, it's your faith in me that's healed you. Because I care about you. And now you know just how much I love you. A relationship has started between us that is going to change your whole life. See how different that is? There is all the difference in the world between being a superstitious person who gets a physical healing and being a lover of Jesus whose life is changed for all eternity. And that's what she gets. See, if you come to Jesus for help, almost always you're going to end up, like Jairus, like the sick woman, both giving much more than you expected to give, but also getting much more than you expected to get. It seemed to Jairus and it seemed to the disciples that Jesus was delaying for no good reason. They were wrong. They were wrong. And so often for us, when it seems as though God is being completely unreasonable in denying us something, when it seems as though he's being negligent, we just haven't got all the facts. See, if you and I sat down at the end of the service today, and that's not going to happen because I've got to go somewhere that I don't even know where it is yet. If you and I sat down at the end of the service today and we had a cup of tea and you told me your story of painful delay, do you know, I'm sure I would agree with you that the way God is treating you just seems totally unreasonable. I'd listen to everything that's happened and at the end I would join in and say, man, how can that possibly be right? What are you doing, God? Sort yourself out. But when I look back at the delays that have happened in my own life, 
and the delays that are ongoing. I know just how often my reaction to that is based on the belief that I know best. You know, I say to myself, okay, so Jesus is the Son of God who created the universe and he knows the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end and he can do all things and he knows all things, but who knows best when it comes to my life? I do. I do. See, right now, is God delaying something in your life? Are you impatient with him? Like Jairus, like the sick woman, almost certainly, you just don't know as much as you think you know. In a time of delay, whether you can see it or not, God is always working for your good. And the answer for you, as it was for them, is to trust Jesus. And maybe you're listening to this and you're thinking, well, that all sounds great, but how can I really know? How can I be sure that Jesus really is doing me good when I can't see any evidence of that? We don't know how my story's going to turn out. How can I know? Do you know, we just need to read the end of this story because what's all that stuff about the little girl being asleep? Have you ever wondered why Jesus says that? Or have you ever wondered if maybe she was just asleep? You know, and she, she hadn't died really. You know, these people weren't very advanced in their medical knowledge. Maybe they just made a mistake. I don't think that's very likely. Death was much more familiar to them than it is for us, where it's all largely hidden away in 21st century society. For them, death was happening right in the middle of community life. They knew much better than us what a dead body looks like. So why does Jesus say this, that she's asleep? Why does he say that? Do you know he's saying something about his own power? Because when Jesus gets to Jairus' house, he goes into the room where the little girl's asleep, and she would have been on a mat on the floor. Jesus kneels down by the bed. He, he would have taken her hand. And in Aramaic, he says to her just two words. He says, Talitha kum. And the words that Jesus uses are very intimate. They're very sensitive words. Talitha means sweetheart. So he, says, he takes her by the hand and he says, come on, sweetheart. It's time to get up. It's time to get up. Do you know, Jesus is sitting next to her and he is taking on death. He is taking on the greatest enemy of the human race. He is taking on the greatest darkness that can come into your life or into any life. But Jesus has such power. He can lift a little girl out of the darkness of death as easily as I might wake one of our kids up for school in the morning by stroking her head and touching her hand. And calling her sweetheart. Man, look how tender he is with her. Look how gentle he is. He cares so deeply about her. He knows how precious she is. He knows how precious she is to Jairus. Jesus isn't insensitive to that. He doesn't belittle that. He understands how precious the dream is that Jairus is holding on to. Just like he does with you. Jesus cares deeply about your dreams. Because he cares deeply about you. See, why would you want to hurry somebody like that? Why would you want to hurry somebody who is this loving and this tender, but at the same time is this powerful? Whatever darkness you feel as though you're in right now, Jesus has you by the hand. And if he can lift a little girl out of the darkness of death as easily as waking somebody up in the morning, don't you think he can be trusted to lift you out of whatever darkness you're facing? And... Maybe you're still thinking, okay, I see his tenderness and I see his power in this story, but 
how can I know that's for me? I, I don't see him doing that for me right now. I don't sense him taking me by the hand and lifting me out of darkness. How can I know that's what he's really going to do for me? And the answer, I think, is this. You can be sure that Jesus is with you in the darkness that you're facing right now because Jesus went into the greatest imaginable darkness for you. Jesus went into an infinite darkness for you when he went to the cross. I've been thinking about that idea for a little while, never really understood it. How was it an infinite darkness that Jesus went into? How was it an infinite loss that he suffered on the cross? Because, you know, like, didn't Jesus know what God was going to do? Couldn't he have just sort of gritted his teeth and held out for that three hours or that six hours or whatever it was? How could the darkness that he suffered be infinite? What does that even mean? And I'm still thinking about that. But I've been so helped recently by reading a book called King's Cross by Tim Keller. I can't recommend that book highly enough. Man, get hold of that book. It will help you so much. This is King's Cross. There is. Um, You see, all of his life, from all of eternity, Jesus had enjoyed a relationship of love with the Father and the Spirit. And whenever he went to his Father in prayer, the Spirit filled him with love. That's how it always was. But the night before he died, as Jesus approaches the cross, he tries to draw near to his Father, just as he's always done. But he finds instead that he's staring into an abyss. He reaches out to his father and his father doesn't reach back. See, if one of you came up to me you know, at the end of this talk and said, I never want to see you or speak to you again. Man, like that would, I'm, I am a sensitive guy. Like that would hurt me. Don't come and say that. Um, but if my wife came and said that to me, I'd be devastated. I'd be shattered. Why? Because the longer the love And the deeper the love, the greater the loss. That's how it works. Jesus had been enjoying a love with his Father for all eternity that was infinitely long and absolutely perfect. But as he went to the cross, Jesus lost that love. That eternal love relationship that he had with his Father went out, the Bible says. And that's why he wasn't saying, if I could just hold out for three hours. He didn't think like that at all. Imagine if right now the sun went out. Man, we would be lost. You would be lost. You wouldn't be saying, oh, if I can just hold out for three hours. You would be lost. That's what Jesus went into for us. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, the New Testament says, he made a conscious decision to go into that darkness for us. As he, w- he was free to choose whether to step into it or to step back from it. And as he was making his mind up about what to do, he thought of you, the Bible says. He thought of you. And he decided to go into that darkness so that you would never have to. Listen, if Jesus was willing to go into a darkness like that for you, do you really think he's going to leave you now in the smaller darknesses that come into your life? Whatever darkness you might be facing now or in the future, Jesus is with you. And he wants to take your hand this morning and whisper over you again his promise that one day soon he is going to lift you right out of it. How can you know he's going to do that? Because he went into an infinite darkness for you, the Bible says. Why would he leave you now? And the truth of that can feed you and sustain you and carry you even through the most painful waiting. Do you believe this? I believe this. I believe this. This is the greatest resource you could ever have to feed you and strengthen you in a time of delay. There's going to be so many twists and turns 
in the Christian life if you're a follower of Jesus. And more than anything else, you need truth like this that you can stand on that gives you joy and allows you to be happy even when you're waiting, even when things are not working out the way you were hoping. Can I tell you a quick story to finish? About 150 years ago, the Scottish writer George MacDonald wrote a modern fairy tale called The Princess and the Goblin. And it's about a little girl who's eight years old and every now and again in the story, her fairy godmother appears to her in the attic. But a lot of days, her fairy godmother isn't there. And so Irene asks her, what should I do if I need help on those days? And in response, her fairy godmother gives her a ring and the ring's got a silver thread tied to it and a, and a ball of thread at the other end. And the fairy godmother says, look, you keep the ring and I'll keep the ball of thread. If you need me and I'm not there, take the ring off and put it under <laughs> And don't bend down next to the speaker. And she says, put it under, under your pillow, feel the thread and follow the thread because I'm holding the other end of the thread and the thread will lead you to me. And... The story says not too long after that, um, Irene's feeling afraid and she wants help from her fairy godmother. So she hides the ring under her pillow and she starts to follow the thread. And the thing that she's most afraid of is goblins in the story. And to her surprise, as she follows the thread, it takes her right out of the house, right down the street and right towards the cave of the goblins. And in fact, she realizes that the thread goes right into the cave of goblins. She swallows hard. She goes into the cave. And she follows the thread in the cave until it leads just to a big pile of stones, like a complete dead end. And she thinks, well, this isn't going anywhere. And uh, she decides just, she says, well, at least I can just follow the thread back to my house. So she tries to follow the thread backwards. And she finds that when you do that, the thread just disappears. So she can't go back. She can't go forwards, there's just this pile of stones. She sits down and has a little cry. And then George MacDonald says after that, she thinks, well, what can I do except try and follow the thread into the pile of stones? And so she starts pulling the pile of stones away and clawing at them and pulling them down until her fingers are cut and bleeding. And as she's doing that, she hears a voice from inside the stones calling out to her. It's her friend who's been trapped in the cave of the goblins. And she gets her friend out. And her friend says, what are you doing here? How did you know I was here? And Irene says, you know, my fairy godmother brought me here and I think I just understood why. And then even after that, she has to follow the thread further into the cave. And she says, I know that's not the way out, but I've got to follow the thread because that's what my fairy godmother told me to do. And in the end, the thread proves trustworthy because her fairy godmother is trustworthy. And do you know, the Christian life, there's going to be so many twists and turns if you're going to be a follower of Jesus. Imagine a little kid sitting down and trying to write an explanation of what it's like to fall in love and be married and have a family. You know, they're not going to write a very accurate description. Do you know, when you become a Christian, you are at least that far away from understanding what it really means to follow Jesus. You don't know what it's going to be like. But Jesus says, I am taking you on a journey and I want you to follow me. I don't want you to turn aside to the left or the right. I want you to put me first. I want you to keep trusting me and stick with me. Don't turn back. Don't give up. I want you to come to me in all of the disappointments and injustices that you're going to suffer. You see, the path of following Jesus is going to take you into things that look like one dead end after another. But the thread doesn't work in reverse. Sometimes you'll feel as though you're just back where you started. 
Sometimes you'll feel as though you're going round in circles. Jesus says, I am going to take you to places that will make you say, why have you brought me here? Even there, I want you to keep trusting me. It's going to look as if your thread is taking you to places where you're going to get bloody. And even places that could crush you. And the only way to keep going is to move forward through that. Jesus says, don't try and go backwards. Don't turn to the left or the right. Keep trusting me. See, are you waiting for something? Have you been waiting a long time? Have you given up hope? Don't be afraid, Jesus says. Keep on believing because all will be well, although perhaps not in the way that you were imagining. Man, you can feed yourself with this stuff. Jesus will not be hurried. Yes, Jesus is requiring more of you than you ever expected to give, but he's also going to give you much more than you ever expected to get. And Jesus will lift you out of the greatest darkness. He can be trusted. Look at his tenderness. Look at his power. He loves you so much. Following Jesus isn't going to crush you. He was crushed for you. He followed his thread all the way to the cross so that you can follow yours all the way to his arms. That's how it works in the Christian life. Why don't we pray together for a minute? Jesus, we want to say thank you for the beauty of your power and your love. Lord, we want to say thank you for the beauty of your sacrificial life that you laid down for us. Everything that means. And Holy Spirit, we're saying, please, will you bring the truth of that alive to us? Holy Spirit, please, will you illuminate the beauty of that and the significance of that to us? Please, will you feed us? with that truth when we're waiting when we're suffering when we feel as though we're in darkness Holy Spirit please feed us with the truth about what Jesus has done for us and the measure of his commitment to us and his unconditional love for us yeah God I just want to pray that Lord for each one of us this morning God I want to pray that for myself Lord where we need feeding and encouraging and strengthening to keep going where we need to see you and to sense your nearness. God, please will you give that to us this morning, Lord, right now, just as we're sitting here. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Jesus was saying that we trust you. We trust you, Lord. We trust your unfailing love. Amen.